I think I've just done so many scary things that have turned out good that I just know that it will probably be a really good thing if I do it. I don't know if there's much more of a process than that other than just instead of lying in bed for an hour thinking about how how, how I should cancel <laughs> and how and how you know how scared I am about doing something just that that time gets short I'm like okay it's just my mind being scared about something and uh, I guess I've just come to realize that the scariest things are the things that I should be doing if I if my mind is scared about doing something if there's if the fear is there it means that there's this great possibility on the other side that I'm just afraid of taking and they're the things that you should run towards not run away from that's photographer videographer artist and former Australian survivor contestant Jared Seng and this is episode 255 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I am Osher Ginsberg. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the backseat of a taxi. Uh, I am traveling between an airport and somewhere that I need to sleep tonight. And um, this is the time that I have to record this intro. So this is this is where we are. We're in a beautiful hybrid Toyota Camry. It's doing great. It's about 8 o'clock at night. Um, but welcome to the show. Welcome to the show today with Jared Sang. He's a extraordinary man. Uh, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram, J-A-R-R-A-D-S-E-N-G. Very interesting guy. He's a very talented photographer, videographer. If you're a Survivor fan, uh, you're in for a real treat because we're going to dig right into that. Um, and what is probably, in my opinion, the greatest game played by people on the planet today, what it's really like when you're in it. More about Jared in a moment. If you're new, welcome. What is this podcast? Is it a bloke sitting in the back of a cab uh, recording all the time? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's a conversation that you get to be a part of. It's a conversation um, designed to hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Sometimes this conversation will be with a name that you know. You'll see the name on you'll recognise it. You, you might download it. Sometimes it'll be someone that you don't know. Um, but I guarantee no matter what, Whoever this conversation is with, you'll hear something today that you need to hear. You'll hear something in the next hour, and a bit of that will help you, and a bit, a bit of that will help you make today a little, a little bit better than yesterday. That's a guarantee. That's what I'm here to do. So who am I? Well, I'm Osher. I'm a, I'm a TV host. I'm a podcaster. I'm an author from Australia. I work on the television here at the moment. I'm working on all the Bachelor franchises at the moment. We just wrapped The Bachelor, which is one boy, lots of girls. We're about to kick into Bachelorette. Uh... One Girl, Lots of Boys, the fourth season of that. The first episode is on Wednesday night if you're in Australia. Or if you're listening to this podcast in 10 years from now, it's on whatever screen is near you after you say, show me the first episode of the season four of Bachelor Australia. And you'll watch it, probably. How is it now? It's 10 years from now. How's the future? Is it good? I hope it is. Are you still driving hybrid cars? I hope they're all electric by now. Did we figure it out? Have we stopped burning coal? I hope we have. Anyway... When I'm, not talk- when I'm not on television or talking to you in the future, um, I'm, you know, with my wife and child. Uh, well, she's not a child anymore. Um, 
I'm swinging a kettlebell around. I'm on my bicycle or I'm busy making this podcast. And I make this podcast with a bunch of fantastic people. And we make it each and every Monday for the last, well, it's Tuesday today, uh, for the last 254 Mondays in a row we've been doing this. Um, and here on this show for a few years now, I've also been talking quite openly about what's going on in my head, just sharing each week what it's like to live with the brain that I've got. I just recently wrote a book about it and um, I like to have conversations about about mental health. I think it's important that we have these conversations because um, mental health, complex mental illness affects one in four Australians and uh, it's a super important thing to talk about. Um, just so make it a little more normal to have these kind of conversations. A big, speaking of those kind of conversations, a massive thank you to everyone that I got to spend time with in Rockhampton this last weekend. I was very grateful to MC the Black Dog Ball, which uh, raises money to provide early mental health interventions for at-risk youth in central Queensland, an incredibly important and very, very worthy cause. The gig was on uh, Saturday night. Uh, which was, incidentally, it was at one of Australia's biggest camp drafting complexes just outside Rockhampton, an amazing place. It was a top night. It was great to hang out with everyone there. And on Sunday, on Sunday morning, we did a, a brunch, a book launch at the Rocky Sports Club. It was an absolute ripper. I met so many great people. Had a great, a great chat with Russ on stage there. He put the event on. Him and Deb, who put the ball on the night before, um, uh, with a bunch of other people, I should say. And um, side heaps of books. Really got to spend some quality time with some super quality people. Um, if you haven't got the book yet, you can get it right now, osherginsberg.com. You can get a hard copy, get an e-copy, uh, e-book, or, you know, there's a link there. You can buy the audio book. You could stop this podcast listen to an audio book in about a minute if you wanted. I'm really grateful that so many people are resonating with the book. And, and time and time again, I'm getting feedback from men and women that the story that I've shared is articulating in many ways, what they went through too, which for me is a very powerful and it's a very gracious, gracious compliment. And I've been told that many people are giving the book to their significant others as a way to help that person in their life that they share intimacy with, help them understand what's going on. Um, what was super extra good about Rocky was meeting people from the Facebook group over the weekend. Facebook group is wonderful. It's growing daily. It's a place that's always full of love and support. I'd love to see you there. You can get on board, osha.is slash fbgroup if you want to join in. And um, it's always great to see where you're listening to the show. You can uh, shoot me a picture with the phone that you're listening to this on. Just shoot me a picture of whatever it is you're looking at right now. You can send it to me on Instagram or email it to me, email at gmail.com. Uh, I told you last week that I'd have some more live show dates, and I'm grateful I can now confirm both Sydney and Melbourne shows. This is a full show with the singing, with the big screen, with Toe Hider. It's on Sunday, 28th of October in Sydney at Giant Dwarf, and Friday, 14th of December in Melbourne at Chapel Off Chapel. I cannot wait to do both those shows. Tickets are on sale at osherginsberg.com. Brisbane, I have not forgotten about you. I cannot confirm anything at this point. But please keep February the 9th free. Okay? Keep it clear. We'll meet up. I'll tell some stories. I'll sing some songs. It'll be a fun night. We are working on other cities. I promise we're working on other cities. It is, it is quite an adventure in learning all about the economics and logistics of independent theatre touring. I would love to come to Perth. If you can afford to fly me and, and Mike and Rachel and hire the theatre <laughs> and set a ticket price that's not going to destroy everyone... Let's do it. If you can figure it out, I'm in. But until we get that figured out, uh, yeah, we're, we're trying. We're really, we really are trying. So uh, while I am in the back of a taxi, um, I, I do want to check in with you. It's important to check in each, uh, you know, I like to check in every day. You should check in every day. You should check in each week at least. Uh, just tell someone how you're going. Be honest. Uh, be authentic because it's easy once it's set out loud. Um, 
if you were listening yesterday, uh, you would have heard that I am I'm a bit sad because my friend Quentin passed away. Um, so I'm just sitting with that, and I'm being okay with being sad about it because it's okay to be sad when your friend dies. For a long time, I didn't really have access, I guess, to feelings of sadness, and often I'd, I'd kind of shut down when things got intense. I'd, I'd go into robot mode, I'd call it. But since I've gotten a lot healthier and, and my brain heals more and more, I get to experience these things. I think you call them emotions. I get to feel them more and more, and sadness at the loss of a friend is one of those emotions. So this week, I'm going to make sure and take time to be with that because it's important to process loss and important to process grief, not just bottle it up because that energy stays inside me and it swirls around and, and it can come out in another form, come out verbally, come out as an aggression against someone else that I love or sometimes even physically. Um, I break out in all kinds of weird stuff sometimes. So I'm just going to try to be with that over these next few days. It's funny, I, I remember a time you know, in my life when I'd go to funerals and I'd feel absolutely nothing and then feel ashamed about feeling nothing and that feeling of shame got so intense that I'd feel nothing about feeling nothing. Like the whole thing would just shut down. The next thing you know, I'm I'm at the wake. I'm smashing beers, just trying to feel something. Um, thankfully, I don't do that anymore. I'm a lot healthier these days. And even though it's something I probably should have developed as a kid, I'm grateful to be learning how and experiencing the process of these emotions more and more. Quentin was a very good man. He was a really good man. You can learn a lot from someone who got told that he wouldn't live to see his next birthday every year of his life from when he was a little kid. Someone who stopped counting how many broken bones he had once he got above 500. I hope you can find some time this week to watch Mad Max Fury Road in his honour. I think he'd he'd like it if he did that. So speaking of watching things, let me tell you about my guest today. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Jared Sang is an Australian photographer, videographer, artist, and former contestant on the toughest game on the planet, Survivor. Now, I'm very aware that as a white, straight, male, middle-class person that I was always seeing people that looked like me, not only in the world, but also on television. But Jared didn't have that. Jared's mum's from Christmas Island, his dad's from Malaysia, and the phrase, you can't be what you can't see, was very real for him growing up in Western Australia. Today, he and I speak about what life was like growing up, where he did, his path to becoming a professional photographer, and indeed... I guess what effect Instagram is having on society. (laughs) Then somewhere around the halfway mark, we start talking about Survivor. If you don't know what Survivor is, as far as I'm concerned, it's probably the greatest game invented by people. Part Hunger Games, part Battle of the Minds, it's an incredible exploration to the nature of humans in the face of adversity. If you've never watched an episode, it's more than just shirtless dudes throwing coconuts through a hoop. So much more. It's like... It's like the hardest game of chess you can imagine, thinking moves and moves ahead, combined with the back-channeling and politics of a climate summit, mixed with the toughest CrossFit class you've ever taken, while living in the outdoors, in the elements, in a way that would make Bear Grylls wish for a sleeping bag. I'm grateful Jared made time to come to the podcast, Um, and since we've recorded this, he and I have both attended the big finale show, and let me tell you, you're going to be blown away when you see who wins so without any further delay come to a hotel room in sydney where my family's living at the moment while the bathrooms in our apartment are being renovated and enjoy this conversation with jared Singh. i did want to i did bring some because uh, i don't actually know how much you know of my work or well, I, anything I, only from what i've seen <laughs> on instagram um so i didn't know i didn't know how much you knew so i thought i'd bring in a few some show and tell just some show and tell and it's pretty old stuff but it's like old exhibition stuff and you know because there's so much cool stuff that's, wow. that's that's the next exhibition so that one's coming out soon that's and you you drew really, the I didn't do that uh, that's a collaboration a collaboration with, uh, uh, with an artist in really Perth lovely. and we've come up with this idea where it's a really silly one where the aurora is the gateway to uh, this parallel universe where cat overlords <laughs> peek through so that's yeah. really that's what I mean about the cats in space that's I've, the next uh, one um, yeah wow. so I just, this was just lying around at home so I thought I'll just grab it just in case because I, I really just had this is a self, self portrait yeah that, that that was all self portraits in Iceland yeah um, yeah sorry to bring stuff and be go. like look at this no but I've got like, to go I've got to go I to thought Iceland. maybe only Know me from Survivor, and that's it. So no, no, no. Like, I've, okay, I've, so I've, no, no, no. I've, I've, okay. <laughs> I've explored your photography, and oh, wow, yeah. I follow. I watched this extraordinary um, uh, adventure of these two guys riding bicycles around Iceland, and uh, so all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, bikepacking through Iceland. <sighs> that's great. There's a spot in Tasmania that looks like that. Devil's gullet, mm, something like that. It's like a, it looks like a pipe organ. But yeah, yeah. It's I think got I know the one. Geometric. And it's like this big kind of canyon. Yeah, yeah. but I'm always, uh, I'm always it. fascinated by yeah. the appearance of geometry in nature. 
Don't feel like you have to flick Going through, through the room. No, no, no. I love it. Stop, stop being so Australian. Uh. Um, in Tonga, I've done that, but 30 metres underwater. I've got a big fucking ridiculous underwater DSLR rig so I can take my 5D down with me. And I'm in a... I'm in a cave. Oh, like in a little pocket. 30 metres back inside the cave. Like underwater 30 metres. Yeah. And back inside like this cave shooting out. And instead of the waterfall down, it's the air bubbles up from the right. divers ahead of me. Wow. Yeah, I ran out of air on that that dive. That was fucking scary. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. That's uh, fucking that amazing. That's Iceland? Yes, this is, this is all Iceland. This oh, is, uh, man. We've got to go. Oh, we've got to go. We've got to take Gigi. She'll lose it. Oh. That's glorious. Thanks, man. Thanks nice. for showing me those. Yeah, they're yeah. Beautiful. Keep them. Are you sure? Yeah. Wow. They've been sitting in my cupboard. That they're many years old, those That's... ones. So, um, small child what? with goat. All right. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get the small child with goat. Um, <laughs> right here we are. Hi, Jared. Yeah, I'm really good. How are you, mate? I'm great. We finally did it. This has been this has yeah, been a while. It has been a while. We coming. made it happen. It's been about a year because it was around it Survivor finale time. It was that the idea? It was. About. But uh, that's you know that's the the, the perils of of yeah. trying to. I, I do do them on Skype, but I I much prefer Same. sitting across the table. And and when we talked about Skype as an option, I thought no, let, let's just wait for yeah for it to all line up because it'd be well, so much better. I'm really. <laughs> grateful that we and I'll are. get to see we're, um, oh, yeah. we're sitting in a hotel because uh, right now in our apartment um, where I normally do this our bathrooms are being torn apart or they've finished the tearing apart part and they're putting the tiles on part and um, as anyone that's renovated knows you there's it's not just logistics you got to, you've got physics you have to wait for things to dry yeah it's a process. <laughs> it's a process, man. So we're in this hotel, which, uh, it, but it's it's cool uh, that, that you're here uh, because I, oh man, I'm just excited that you're here. You don't call, uh, we're in Sydney, but you call Perth home. Yes. Have you yes. always called Perth home? I've always called Perth home. I mean, I grew up a little bit south of Perth, Mandra, which is an hour away. What's life like there? Um, slow. Um, I mean, it's basically Perth, but just an even smaller version of Perth. Yeah. Um, it was fine growing up there. I mean, uh, I guess I'm just, I've always used to being a bit of an outsider, being of Asian heritage uh, in, in a mostly white kind of community. Um, but yeah, it's just a small place. And so to me, Perth was the big smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Which gives you an idea of how small it is. And then... Uh, yeah, moved up to Perth for university. Um, we are definitely on the harbour. <laughs> We're most definitely sitting in a hotel room on the harbour. Um, even Frank the dog was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> He's awake now. That's a boat turning the corner, Frankie. That's a boat going around the corner. They have to. It's like Bali when they beat before the corners, Frankie. There you go. Um I only know what it's like to grow up as a white kid in a white society. Mm. I don't know what it's like to not to be the odd one out. To be the minority. Yeah. When was the first time you realised that you were the odd one out? Um, I'm not sure. I guess you know, some point during primary school. I mean, high school is where you, I think you really uh, <laughs> start realising you're you're not like the other people. And I, I don't know. I I have blurry memories of of, of uh, the early days but yeah I just remember 
I mean, I was very smart, very uh, kind of naturally like, found found things, found school quite easy back in the day, and that was my thing. I was very good at school, you know, and I could kind of hold on to that, you know. I was I was doing well at school, but I, you know, as the years went on, I remember just increasingly feeling like. Uh, you know, I would rather probably just be normal and like everybody else rather than the smart Asian kid. Um, and I think it just that just grew as as I went through school. You know, I, I'm very skinny and scrawny as well. And yeah, um, yeah just I remember just wishing that oh, I wish I was just more average like everybody else because it's it's a bit tough being uh, being being I don't know, just the outsider, I guess. What did you? parents i mean obviously i'm assuming that you came home from school one day and said these kids were calling me this uh, not so much because you know i was doing well at school you know uh-huh. so I, I felt like that that's what i could hold on to and it's not something i really spoke about uh-huh. to to anybody oh. um yeah and i probably haven't since really <laughs> until, until talking to you now. oh wow <laughs> yeah i mean i thought okay. about it a little bit um especially as we you know went through the survivor audition process and I really had to drill down to like why do I even want to do this and yeah part of it came back to those feelings and like you know I just want to prove prove to myself prove to people that this the skinny Asian kid can uh, can do cool things and you know especially at at that time and even now the representation of Asian males in particular on TV or or movies they don't get a good run. <laughs> we don't get a good run. You're the, the Asian guy in any show is the nerd character or, or some sort of heinous villain, you know? It's a hitman. <laughs> yeah. And You're right. It's okay to have an Asian female on screen as long as she's hot and sexy. Exactly. It's still not great. <laughs> as the white guy gets to have sex with her mm. uh, when he wants. Exactly. That's fine. Um, yeah. Having said that, last night, watching Survivor last night, <laughs> there's a busily workwear ad that has this Asian dude doing this fuck off parkour. Oh, really? Um, from one side of a job site to the other. Amazing. To make it Love into it. the pickup, <laughs> to make it into the ute because it's, it's knockoff time. Yeah. And he's, you know, basically saying, workwear can move with you, you know, but he's got Asian tradie. Man, this is dreams come true. Well, it was, it made me happy to see it. And I've, I've, you know, definitely noticed that. Mm. And then there's a, in the same ad break, actually, because Audrey and I were lying on this bed right here, looking at it, watching it. And the same ad, there's a, uh, a fantastic furniture ad where there's a mixed race Asian dad and they're moving into a new house and they've got the fantastic furniture truck outside. And, you know, he kisses his white wife and, yeah. you know, they've got the little mixed race kids. It's definitely getting better. It's, it's great to see it. Because um, I, mean, I talk about it on this a bit. You can't be what you can't see. Exactly. And as a kid growing up in Mandra, I'm guessing you're, you're a fair bit younger than me, but still not a lot of internet going on. So your ability to visually see other Asian males doing things yeah. was limited. And this comes back to Survivor and we're already straight into Survivor. No, that's fine. <laughs> but I was a huge fan of the US version and I remember and that was one and you know you you would not see Asian people in there very much but every now and then you would sometimes there'd be the weird quirky characters always but sometimes you'd get I don't know if if you watched uh, the US seasons going one of the winners uh, was a guy called Yule he was an Asian super buff Asian dude super smart and I remember just just being in awe and be like, wow, okay, 
Asian guys can be cool. We can we can be like we can be the winners. And anytime I would see any kind of Asian character on any kind of whatever, I would just immediately root for them. You know, and I probably didn't know why back in the day, but now I do. It's yeah. because oh, that person looks like me, and they're killing it. And that's so I never see that <laughs> anywhere. And that's part of why I wanted to 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 go through the Survivor experience. Is I wanted to be I wanted some little scrawny Asian kid to, to watch me on screen. Like, oh, that, he's cool. You know, he's he's actually doing stuff. He's not this you know this idiot character on throwaway thing. You know, he's 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 doing it, and and I can do that too. That's so cool. <laughs> but, but having that as the background, as you've been kind enough to show me some of your artwork uh, for your photography there. Having, having adversity as a background is a, almost a precursor to great art. <laughs> uh, I think that's fairly generally accepted. <laughs> yeah. That's something uh, and, and striving yeah. to overcome. Yeah. That. And it might not be immediately obvious, you know, what you're trying to overcome. But yeah. The more I think about it, and the more I have to dissect, you know, what I've done and, and my career and everything, it, do, it does a lot of it does come back to that, you know, yeah. wanting to break out of this stereotype that people have and and be this creative force that you don't often associate with uh, Asian people. Really, if you're just looking at popular culture and, mm. and TV and movies, uh, which makes. Uh, very little sense if you do any kind of traveling outside of Australia uh, yeah white people are the minority in the world <laughs> and it's interesting this time in our culture I'm really quite fascinated by this time in our culture in that as a nation we have uh, is the second verse of our national anthem says boundless planes to share yeah let's not forget <sighs> that. about and politicians might. Need yeah, well, they like the, we're never one. seeing the second verse of football games. <laughs> um, and, you know, our, our country is what it is because of immigration. And let's just face it, if, mm. if you're not a First Nation Aboriginal woman or man, you're an immigrant. Mm -hmm. And that's made our nation extraordinary. And we have this idea now, which face, we're in this moment where as a nation, as our definition of ourselves is, is shifting and... It's things like great casting in TV commercials that, for me personally, that's where the leadership is coming from as far as let's, let's change the story here because the politician's not going to do it and it's mm. not going to happen in the educational system. Mm. And I find that the creative directors of ad agencies <laughs> are the ones going, come on, fucking let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's up to the private sector and the public yeah. to, to kind of make that change. And that's... I guess that's where all change stems from. You know, it's it's politicians respond to yes what what the public's yeah. going to do, what's going to get them re-elected. So you know, if there's this groundswell, if everything is changing around, you, you know, there's no choice. Yeah, <laughs> but for the people up the top to uh, to get on board or get out, which is what I loved about when Gogglebox first started. The casting was exceptional in Gogglebox because I remember like watching television, it was you know, going back to the first season of Survival where I just made, moved back to Australia and it was really evident because in the States they have all kinds of rules and regulations around um, diversity and casting there. Uh, it's like enshrined in law. Mm. Uh, so you, there's always, you know, black guy, Asian guy, black yeah. woman, you know, it's all, it's very much enshrined. And then I came, I got off the plane here in 2013 and I look at the television and it's just 
nothing but white people. And then I go down to Westfield, I'm like, hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is not what my What's country this looks like. land on TV. This, yeah. isn't, this isn't what I look around at the faces when I go to the cinema or I get on a bus or mm. I don't get on buses in Australia. Uh, or when, you know, when I go to the theatre, when I'm yeah, a, you yeah. know, in a big group of people, it's like, yeah, okay, this is, this is it. This is it. And then I look at the television. No, this isn't what I just saw outside my front door. Mm. And that, that is starting to reflect what's actually going on. I, I, I personally feel that that would do a lot more to make people who feel funny in the tummy about anyone that's not white a little better yeah. because like or not subliminally but they're being exposed yeah to this normalcy of yeah non-caucasian people live and are great it's fine <laughs> exactly and it's so you know if you're in the majority it it might be hard to understand that because you you it's it's subtle you know it's subtle conditioning it's not you know I, you know, there, there will be people that would reject that idea if we brought that up to them. You know, you know, that representation is such an important thing because it's, you know, it's just always been that way. You always just, you know, it's normal. But um, these little things matter. Yeah. yeah. But it permeates, as you said, it's subtle, but it permeates every yeah. every start exposure to a non-white face. If it's always been, as we said, yeah, the the black guy's the baddie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Frank, he's, bullshit, he's, he's all about it. It's like more cavoodles on television, <laughs> motherfucker. I want a cavoodle in the fantastic furniture out as well. Because uh, it's a public it's a public walkway because we're on a hotel that's a wharf, right? And so that's a I think that's a public area out there. So yeah, people yeah, yeah. just do laps and so he's just being a good guy. I think guardian. he's more disagreeing with the yeah. <laughs> No no no, he's about it. He's he's had he's sat on he's sat in on many a podcast conversation <laughs> about diversity, Jared. Fear not. No, no, I mean he's uh, he's he's uh, he's for more diversity. Yeah, that's, he's that's all about he's, it. He's piping up, he's like, Yeah, yeah. Right, that's it. He's 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 all about I'm it. Ready. But it is um it, it is subtle if you've only been exposed to that and mm. and certainly it, it can get more intense if you only ever follow people that look like you on your social media yeah the messaging you always get is you know is reinforcing your views and you never get challenged so exactly. and all you see on the news is all you see on the news is yeah african gangs <laughs> not you know? fucking african they were fucking born here <laughs> You know, that's that's the other so, thing. Yeah, this is it all just feeds into it. It doesn't and it? you can understand why certain parts of the population yeah. have a, a view that they do. Yeah, I, I recall when I first moved to Sydney, the headlines were always a man of Middle Eastern a yeah. Middle Eastern man, da 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 No, he's not. He's exactly. Australian. Yeah. He was born in Punchbowl. <laughs> all right. He's was born here in nineteen ninety or whatever. He's not Middle Eastern. He's Australian. I actually, I remember early scripts of. Um, uh, I, I used to. I've done a lot of voiceovers in my time, mm -hmm. and the beautiful part of doing a voiceover is, you, as you do it, you can subtly suggest to the producer, "Are you sure you want to say that?" Because I don't feel comfortable my voice being recorded saying this. So you know, here I am, but like a Middle Eastern man. It's like, no, he's from Bankstown. He's an Aussie. He got born here. He's not Middle Eastern. We wouldn't say an Italian man. We wouldn't say a Greek man. Yeah. We wouldn't say a French man, mm -hmm. even though they were born here. It's like the, you know, and I heard it because I was in Bali last week. Have you ever noticed when people refer to expat, they only ever refer to white people? Yes, I haven't <laughs> noticed that. You know, he's an expat. He's an expat engineer. Yeah. You know, or he's an Indian engineer. Mm -hmm. Expat means white. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it's kind of. And it means kinda, like 
wealthy, white, safe. Yeah. This person's okay. That's what <laughs> you know, f- holding the flag, exactly. representing, hasn't let go of his colonial mm-hmm. overlord. Yeah. Um, so you have uh, you've made an extraordinary career of uh, being a photographer. Frankie, it's just, it's cool, man. Other dogs. Hey, buddy, do I, am I going to have to shut this? Andy gets sick of cutting you out of things, pal. Don't make, don't make me invoke Andy. Oh, it's just kids having fun. <laughs> oh, it's, there's, a, there's a very loud schnauzer that's staying here as well. Right. Is that better, Frank? Is that better? It's, it's all right. There's always one <clears throat> final bark to be like, and fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that schnauzer. Who, um, he's just off chops. So he's, uh, he's an under, <laughs> under the arm dog. Oh, okay. And so all morning he's just been walking through the lobby or well, being walked through the lobby, just barking at people. And so, but <laughs> Frank's... Right, he's not having it. That's right, Frank. It's all good, yeah, good, good. Right, um, so you've made a career uh, as, as a photographer. You're, you're currently uh, touring uh, with Angus and Julia Stone as their documentarian <laughs> photographer, which is a very important job. Mm-hmm. Many, very, many incredible photos. In fact, iconic photos of all musicians that we've seen have always been taken off stage. And exactly. they're always by it's the always... person who's on the road with them mm-hmm. and the trusted person in the road on the, on the tour. So I will talk, we will talk about that. But uh, when do you remember photography capturing you? And that's a fucking excellent pun and Frank loved it. When do you remember <laughs> photography being a thing we are, oh, Oh, I like this. Yeah. I mean, it came pretty late mm. for me. It was through, uh, it was only a couple of years into university that I even picked up a camera. What were I you mean, studying? I, I, d- I studied one year of law. Um, I really uh, did not enjoy that. It was kind of my academic fall from grace that year, my first year of university. I did very well at school, you know scholarships everything and then got this rude awakening uh, once I hit university kind of like you describe in, in in the book where like oh wait I actually have to like do stuff now like no one's just telling me what to do you know because that's what I was used to someone say okay do this is how you do it cool I can do that it's easy and then suddenly when you have to do everything yourself and you look around and everyone knows what they're doing and you don't and it was yeah, it wasn't a great time that first year. Um, but then I moved into uh, arts communications and commerce and that was a bit better. That was more more my, my jam. But it really was all about music um, always. Um, and I was playing in a couple of bands. I was writing for some... What was your instrument? Keys, synth. Yeah, <laughs> classic. Um, yeah, and, and, and I was everything, anything I could do to involve myself with music... Um, yeah, playing in bands, writing about it, just being involved in street teams, that kind of thing. And then he got to the point where oh, photography might be in another way I can get even closer, <laughs> even more in a circle with the with the music scene. And yeah, so then I, that's that's when that's when that all started. Um, I never thought that I would be good at it, uh, or you know, it could be a career or anything like that. It was more just how can I get closer to the band instead of sitting at the back with a little notepad yeah. writing writing down notes for my review of the show. Right. Um, so be, being in bands was, I mean, I, I, I was great as a bass player, but I couldn't write very good songs. So I could never, <laughs> I, was, I, was yeah. de- I was destined for a life. If, if I did choose it, I would always be the hired gun 
I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't yeah. write songs yeah. and it's in writing songs that's where the money is. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's eventually that's it just became pretty apparent that um, photography, it, it might not have been my first passion. I'd still probably put music in front of that. But where I could uh, make a career, make a living wasn't in music. <laughs> it was it was in something like photography or videography or something like that. So that's when I started pursuing that. But it all started from music. Mm. Yeah, there, it's. It, I remember seeing a couple of years ago. Now I was at a conference and uh, someone was saying that the and they were absolutely right. It was about 2011. Some someone said if there's a four person band, the fifth member will be the content creator <laughs> and they will be as important as yeah. everyone else and at the time i was like what does that mean and now it's completely evident you know people who are the traveling person with a band have as many followers as the people in the band <laughs> and are the you know the conduit from which everything of the band flows yeah and that's the connection to the band yeah and it is it is i mean it's really important now especially with social media and this need to have a constant stream this constant connection and interaction with your fans you know you can't just um put up the same press photo every day <laughs> you need something yeah. else and what i found and it's just that all the interesting stuff is happens off stage yeah the show might be the same thing every single night the same lighting the same set but where you really see the personality or yeah, when, when, when the stories come out, it's not on stage. It's, uh, it's everything in between. Yeah. And having somebody there to document that and to, uh, yeah, like you said, who's trusted and, and can um, connect with the band and be that connection to, to the fans as well. It's, um, it's, a, it's an important role, I think, now more than ever. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my my uh, kind of go-to, do you need more water? We have a, we have a tap. Yeah, maybe, yes. Um, Hang on a sec. Have you just been in Indonesia just pulling water out of the tap is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Take it for granted. Mate, every morning when I write my gratitude list, water from the tap. Water from the tap. <laughs> I write 20 things. Try to write 20 things every morning and I'm grateful for Yeah. Nice. It's really powerful. Um, and water from the tap is one of them. Because it's not until you can't drink water out of the tap that you go far out. I really, I, know. I, I use my. Take it for granted that I cannot get sick. Yeah every time I do this, but billions of people across the world cannot do that. Yeah, it's, I, it's a constant Google of mine. Can I drink water from tap in wherever <laughs> I am? Yeah, no, okay, cool. <laughs> um, the, ro the role of the photographer uh, in transformative cultural moments and scenes, it, it cannot be understated. And for me, one of the ones that... Uh, demonstrates that more than anything is the role of Glennie Friedman in not only the Washington punk scene, but also before that in the Dogtown and Z-Boys scene when there was this group of skaters that were kids, 11, 12, 13 years old. And he was this 14-year-old kid who was doing photography at high school and he borrowed a, like a Pentax K1000 or something. And he shot photos of Tony Alva and those original Z-Boys doing things on skateboards no one had ever, yeah. ever done. And those kids didn't know how to take photos. Yeah. All right. And they were as 
they could have just been existing in a vacuum. They could have just been doing these things in the empty swimming pools of Los Angeles and no one would have ever known. But there was this kid, Glennie Friedman, who went, no, 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 it's important. I'm going to take photos of these. And because of those photographs, these people became superstars. And that that scene would never have existed and that transformation in skateboarding would never, ever have happened were it not for that person. And similarly, the photographer, uh, Jim Marshall famously, and um, oh, what was his other name? Henry, the guy that travelled with the Beatles. I can't remember his name. I've got his book at home. Uh, but, like, for example, as you mentioned, sure, there's David Bowie on stage holding an acoustic guitar. That's great. But... David Bowie eating breakfast in a suit next to Mick Rock <laughs> on a train. Have you seen that picture? They're like, I haven't. He's eating. He's, he's basically eating, you know, lamb chops with peas <laughs> in full Ziggy Stardust next to Mick Rock. They're just having breakfast on a train, traveling from one part of Europe to another. Yeah. And it, as you said, it says more about who David Bowie is yeah. than him being on stage. And as, as, Grinspoon famously said, as the name of their tour documentary was, 23 hours of waiting around. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> that, 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 that is what it is. Let's, let's break it down a bit for people who believe, ah, oh, being on tour would be amazing. Uh, what's it actually like, Jared? <laughs> it's a lot of work. I think people don't realise how much work goes into a tour or putting on a show. I mean, you might go to that one show and yeah, you, you you see the musician in the lights and and the crowd adoring them, and wow, this is such a a blessed life you live. Um, but it is so much work, especially to do that night in night out. It's a lot of travelling. It's a lot of working late, working early. There's there's so much, and and the amount of people that are involved in putting on one set is crazy. But like you said, it's a lot of waiting around. Most of it. You know what that one percent of it we, that you see on stage—that that is one percent. The rest of it is work, waiting around, dealing with the press that you have to do to promote to promote the show, and that's the stuff I'm around to document. Yeah, <laughs> it's just just what happens between, and that's I think just in general that's that's because there's so much we're just getting bombarded bombarded with content these days anyway, and. I think the, what people want is what's behind the curtain now. Even with your podcast and, and things like that, you know, you you know what you've seen the person in at their best in the spotlight, and that's that's what you know, and that's what everybody adores. But what you really are interested in is what's what's happening behind the scenes. Mm. And that's the part where the trust of the photographer comes in because. As someone who's on stage, you are outpouring energy and very much exposing yourself to the energy of people at all times. When you are outside of your hotel room or the band van or whatever, people are physically grabbing you and nearly forcing you without asking to take a photograph on their phone. Thankfully, now we all have the same phone and thankfully... They don't not work. There was there was a time when everyone had a different kind of digital camera and no one ever knew how to work it. Yeah, and, people and that's would, a, it's already painful enough. And then people, having to, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 a lovely privilege, but um, I'm sure someone like um, 
as you work with, you know, someone like Angus and Julia, they must get, you know, often they're meeting people. They're very excited to meet them. They might have had a few drinks by then. Hmm. As far as they're concerned, Angus and Julia are essentially my brother and sister. I am I feel like I know them yeah. because I look at Jared's photos and, I, and, and, and how dare you not want a photo with me? We're <laughs> friends. It's, yeah, it's just... I guess that's the most draining part of it that, that I see for, for these musicians is this trying to match or compete with this energy that is coming to you nonstop. You, at the end of a show, you don't have much left. <laughs> and then when it's coming, and that's why, that's why you know, a musician might not come out and, and, and say hello to fans after a show because they just, it's just such an ask to, to be thrown into that. And there are, you know, it is such a privilege and an honour that people want to meet you um, and, and want to take a photo with you. But, I mean, I've seen some pretty disrespectful things that happen outside of shows. I've seen uh, one time Passenger, who's actually the main guy I, I tour with, it's Passenger. Um, I've seen times where someone will open Snapchat, um, ask for a photo, and then while he's talking to them oh how, how did you enjoy the gig they're they're typing their caption on snapchat instead of looking at him and it's crazy and it's it's you know sometimes it just becomes a, l- a little trophy you know let's see if i can get this photo with this celebrity and 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 have that's all you came for the gig for was to just try and get this photo that you can put on snapchat which will last for 24 yeah. hours and then vanish into your <laughs> camera roll you'll never print it you yeah. know i say it to my kid all the time i'm like honey do you download these You've got to download these. You've got to get them off your phone. Yeah, yeah, they're off my phone. No, honey, you've really got to get them off your phone because these are the only photos you have of you and your friends. Mm. If you lose these, if Snapchat goes under tomorrow or whatever, this entire part of your life will vanish. You've got to, you've got to save this stuff. But, you know, yeah. I'm the father figure and, and she's a teenager, so... It, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't touch the sides. I've anyone- always wondered what would happen if uh, Instagram, for example, just gets deleted tomorrow. I'd love it, actually. Yeah, why? <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, I guess I'm looking at it from the lens, another pun for you, of, of a photographer looking at, at um, all these young all these young guys coming up now who... who I mean, photography is a very accessible and easy thing. It's pretty easy to take a good photo now. And, and there's, there's this uh, wave of young photographers who are doing really amazing things and they're traveling and they're inspired by people they see on Instagram and, and to go travel, to go take amazing photos and have these experiences. But it's all become about, oh, let me take the photo in a way that will get the most Instagram likes. And that might be what you wanted to do and that might be the coolest photo to take, but it's a very narrow-minded way to see things. And a lot of people are basing their entire, you know, art or practice or craft on what will be popular on social media and that's that's a dangerous thing. And, um, yeah, what happens if it, what happens if it goes away? Mm. What are you going to be left with if you don't have the thousand likes on your photo to that drives what you do. I can't go to Coles and show up with a basket of groceries and pay for it with likes. <laughs> exactly. Nor can I go to Coles with a basket of groceries and pay for it with the camera bag that those likes got me. Mm-hmm. Cause someone sent me a free mm-hmm. $40 camera bag. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not to say that Instagram and social media hasn't opened up a whole ton of opportunities. <laughs> 
to me, which it has and it has for a lot of people. But I think it's always important to remember that's that's not the end goal. Is not to it shouldn't be the your end goal to get popular. Yeah. Virtually, it should. You know, it's great that that can help you yeah. go even further. But if if that's what you are aiming towards, then you you need a reframing of the issue, which is why I think is um why it would be interesting if, if Instagram just disappeared. What would you do? Would you keep taking photos if, if, you know, there was no one around to see it? I think that's a question people probably have to ask themselves. If you couldn't put your photos on Facebook, Snapchat and Instagram, yeah. would you still take them? Mm-hmm. Oh, me? No, no, no that's, okay. the, that's, the, no, that's the question. That's the question. Yeah. And I like it. And I think a lot of people, if they really ask themselves, the answer is probably no. Because the camera used to be... Oh, it's it's in the other room. It's on the top shelf in a cupboard. I don't know if there's there might be two frames left on that roll. I don't think the flash is charged. Oh, fuck it. I won't mm. get it. Yeah. But now our camera's in everywhere. Uh, well, it was interesting. You speaking of Instagram, we were in in uh, in Bali uh, on holidays, Audrey and I, last week, and the amount of posing for photographs and setting up photographs to, here I am sitting in this beach chair at a poolside, at a beach side thing on a beanbag next to the thing watching the sunset. Um, that's not good enough. I've got to get the fresh coconut. <laughs> I've got to take the photo right when the dew is right on the, on the, the condensation is right off the cold coconut. I've got to make sure the light is shining off the bin tank perfectly. I've got to rearrange things and basically creating a situation that was never there <laughs> for a photograph and then putting it online as if this is exactly how it was. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't, you know, and watching, it's funny if you just have, standing on the beach at Changu in the sunset, just <laughs> watching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people doing this mm. and then claiming that as if it was the reality. So no, it wasn't reality, you moved that. And I guess, you know, I come from a background where I've been fascinated in photojournalism and the role of the photojournalist is always be just never, ever touch anything because you have to only capture it as it is. You can't even ask someone to look or smile because that's not what happens. The moment you ask a person to look or smile in a news photograph, it's no longer there. Mm. You just have to be ready. And then, then seeing that the other day, uh, there's a, a perfect shot, Jared. It's on Audrey's phone. I took it. <laughs> Uh, we were at this beach club. It's a fucking beautiful place, actually. They were playing Fela Kuti records and I was, I was reading my Yuval Noah Harari book in the sunset. It was fucking cool. Listening to Fela Kuti in the sunset was great. Next to Audrey, who's a great reader. And I turn around and there's a, there's a pool at the back of the, the place we were staying at and there's heaps of people in the pool. It was a bit soupy, so I didn't get in. And there's this girl with her elbows up on the pool, up on the pool deck, um, you know, boobs out, head back, and her friends taking a photo of her silhouetted in the sunset, right, with the the glistening water in the foreground, and then just you know, bikini, whatever. The pool backs onto uh, an embankment that goes down to the beach, right. In that embankment, behind oh, no. this girl is a Bali street dog taking a shit. <laughs> but it's just out of frame. <laughs> yeah, he's got a frame. Yeah, that that never existed. It was a perfect moment, and that's not. I mean. I've had to, I'm sure people have, uh, I work a lot for tourism boards as well. So there's times where I, I have to take that kind of shot and I'm sure there's people looking at me as well being like, what, you know, look at you setting up this thing. So I understand that um, the, the, you know, I guess it's different if it's, if it's just for your own personal curated uh, 
life story on Instagram, but I think it's personally, I think it's more powerful because you're trying to tell your immediate community who uh, the ones whose their uh, adulation and their acceptance is what you desire. You're trying to tell them this is what I did, mm. but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what you did. You, you know, you, you, you got food poisoning and you, you, you shat through your eye of a needle for three straight days and, you know, then you, you had a scooter crash and, you know, you lost 100,000 rupiah on, on a guy, you got ripped off by buying a bag on it, whatever. Yeah. And that sounds so much more interesting, just that little hypothetical story you've just told me. Exactly. That's more interesting than the, the bikini shot that we've seen a thousand times. That's the other thing. <laughs> it's... That's the, but then again, and that, that when we went to we went to go see the rice paddies, the rice terraces, which are, you know, I'm nerdy for this shit. So wow, look at this this cultivation of of food, this you know perennial crop that can feed these people, and uh, these terraces have been maintained lovingly by generations. And the father, the the men can't leave the village, so this man who's tending this this incredibly well-designed, you know, aquatic you know irrigation system where gravity feeds the the rice fields has been doing this and he knows this wall was built by his great, 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 great grandfather and an unbroken lineage has been, to maintain it, has been taught to him down the generations. And yet above that, all the bars along the road, they have an I love Bali or the name of the bar like over the top of exactly where you want to stand to get the best view. They've they've stood there with an iPhone, which has is the lens that everyone has, which is, I don't know, what's equivalent to like a 30 millimeter lens or a 28 millimeter lens, it's pretty wide. Well, if you don't hit the two times, but it's exactly that frame. So you come here and it even has take selfie button. <laughs> and, but that's what people want. Yeah. People want to collect that trophy. Yeah, that's what it is. It's collecting the trophy. Yeah. <sighs> that's not to say that uh, I guess it's different, but I think back uh, to a lot of amazing, it's, it's different, but a lot of amazing experiences I've had have only come about because I've pursued a photo and it might not be the, the bikini shot in the pool. I'm not pursuing that one, but it might be, oh, like I, I really want this amazing shot at the, at, that's from the top of this mountain at sunrise. And I'm pretty lazy uh, naturally and there's no way I would uh, do that hike if it wasn't for this goal of this... Yeah, this drive to get that image, whether it's for myself or for, for a client or something like that. There's so many instances in my life where I think back and like, you know, I wouldn't have done that unless I was trying to get a photograph. And because I've pursued the art, you know, that has opened up so much more to me. So I, you know, I am thankful of, of and, and I can look at, look at the pursuit of photography as, as having created this pretty amazing life that I get get to live. Mm. I would I would agree. I've done I've done the same thing. I've absolutely done the same thing. I've, you know, <laughs> had incredible experiences on 5 minute long exposure shots, you know, under a starry sky. Yeah. You know, you can't do anything. The shutter's open. You can't even touch the yeah, camera. You're you're forced to experience Just life because of because stand there in yeah. the darkness in the bush. Yeah, usually alone. Oh man, I've I've so many stories of me being terrified in that exact situation. Um, yeah, when you when you're putting on that long shutter and you're all alone in the dark, you're like, why? Why am I doing this? Like, 
I wouldn't, this is not a normal thing to do, uh, but because we're, you know, trying to, to create this amazing thing, because of that, we experience this little slice of life that you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't otherwise, you wouldn't just get out of bed at 2am and be like, oh, I think I'm just going to stand under the stars for, for an hour. Yeah. I'd never do that if it wasn't, <laughs> if it yeah. wasn't for... I've, 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 I have done that and every time I've done it, I've, I've loved it. I <laughs> love the fact that I've done it. Yeah. It's, yeah. But there, I think there's a, there's a line between creating... Well, there are two different conversations, the creating mm. the perfect Instagram or Facebook photograph that shows the false impression of what your holiday was like and as a photographer pursuing this you know if you're i'm gonna go out and take photos on this you know moonless night in a mountain lake above the snow line on four by five film here i go like that's a <laughs> that's an adventure <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i an adventure i for one i'm up for yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's this moment i always remember uh, when i was on tour with passenger and what we like to do when we're on tour is we, we create a lot of stuff. We create music videos. We, we try to put one out every week when we're on tour and, and we just document all the cool places we're going. The thing is, you know, with, without that, you know, what we'd really be doing on tour on, on your day off is sitting in your hotel room, ordering room service, watching movies. You know, you don't want to do anything on your days off. Uh, but, you know, I remember this one time in Italy, we, you know, I needed a bit more footage for this this video we were working on and uh, I found this, you know, um, this vineyard, this this hilltop that would, it would give us a pretty amazing view of the town. Um, so, uh, you know, I told Mike, Mike, let's go. <laughs> We've got, there's a cool shot, you know, at the top of this hill, let's go for it. And, you know, he's pretty grumbly, like, uh, uh, understandably. He's um, like, oh, you know what, what, let's just do it down, let's, why don't we just do it here, it's fine. Like, no, come on, let's, let's get to this top of this hill. He's grumbling all the way up to the top. We shoot it. It looks amazing. And afterwards, he, he turned to me and said, thank you. Thank you for making me come up here. You know, if it wasn't for these, these videos that we force ourselves to do every week, I wouldn't see half the crazy stuff that we've done. You know, I wouldn't have, would not have seen this view without you forcing me to, to do this and without me forcing you to make the video. So it's just this, you know... It just comes back to you, and I think I think you can create such an amazing life experiences uh, in the pursuit of something I, like photography or like art, golf or snowboarding. But I, I I agree with you in that it's important to have in your life. I've I've certainly found that with when I used to run, uh, and you know the idea of wanting to do a do a marathon or you know traveling to go and do a thing and i know people find that certainly with ironmans or, or any kind of sport or snowboarding gave me an excuse to go do something yeah. somewhere and now skiing now i ski again um i think it's important to have that even having a dog you know i frank you've got to get out got to get out and walk yeah. got to go and have these moments these serendipitous moments these reasons to get out of the mm. out of the, out of the house uh, i'm also I, I love the fact that you have this deadline every week that you have this creative because <laughs> I've, I've done a project like that where you have this creative deadline and it actually drives you to do shit, particularly if it's almost daily or weekly. You have to, man, I've got to get this done. Mm. I promised myself that I would and there's, you know, people are expecting that it's going to happen. Yeah. And it, it pushes you and I like it. Yeah. I, I've, I've done similar things that, you know, whether it's a 365 like like, like you've done or just, just a little project when i was traveling through europe for the first time with with passenger i gave myself a little challenge to um photograph uh, a, a stranger 
Just one strange every day. That's a tough one. I've tried that one. It is a tough one. I'm naturally fairly introverted. Um, so, you know, and it's, it just forced, forced me to just go up to somebody and I'll chicken out so many times. It would be, yeah. it would be funny to, to watch if, if anyone had any, if anyone was, was an observer watching me just kind of stand there like half cocked, ready to, oh, no, 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 they're, they're probably not going to talk to me. But yeah. it forced me to, oh, I have to get this thing, I have to get this, this, this shot a day and then I end up just being like, okay, just do it. I'll just walk up to someone, oh, can I take a photo? And nine out of ten, they'd be up for it. And you have a nice little conversation and I met you know, some pretty cool people and some friends through, through doing that. But yeah, I, I guess it's just this thing where you have to trick, trick yourself into, <laughs> into, uh, into just doing something that you, you're naturally going to be very scared doing, but you know that you know, if, if, if the fear is the only thing that's stopping you, then get over that, you know, force yourself to get past that because there's going to be something cool on the other side. <laughs> I think my whole life is tricking my <laughs> tricking myself into doing things. That, I, you've just you've just embodied <laughs> kind of everything that uh, you know. I have to remember every day is that the the fear might be stopping you, but just on the other side of that, <laughs> on the other side of that is possibility, yeah, and excitement and the possibility of freedom from the fear. Exactly, He's on the other side yeah. of it, and if you run from it. It'll only get bigger. Yeah. It'll it's just, just smashing through it. And I'm, people might not realize this from, you know, I do some pretty outlandish things and I'm always traveling and doing just, you know, just out there. But I'm, I'm actually pretty scared of, you know, most things, most situations. I, I come at it with a bit of anxiety. I'm like, oh, it's, I don't know. I don't know what it is. My fear of being embarrassed is probably up there. Um, and I just have to kind of psych myself up to do to do <laughs> almost any job or any experience. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of photography jobs. You know, I've just been so worried that you know, and so just having this crushing pressure on your shoulders and like, ah, maybe I should just cancel. You know, it's you know, it's, it's, you know, no, I probably can't do it. You know, let's just let's just eliminate all you know fear of. Be any possibility of being embarrassed or not doing a good job or disappointing someone. If I just don't do it, you know, <laughs> I can't disappoint anyone. But, um, yeah, I, it's just pushing through that. It's happened so many times from the, from very minor things to something like Survivor. Terrified, so terrified going on Survivor. Um, yeah, but it's just, I think... As the years have gone on, I've realized I've, I've I've just developed this kind of I don't know I don't know what you'll call it a method or just just I just know when I have to force myself to do it, and it's becoming the time frame of me thinking about how scared I am has it gets shorter and shorter as we go so along. Walk walk me through the process. Um, I just know. I, mean, I think it just. I, 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 just, I think I've just done so many scary things that have turned out good, that I just know that it will probably be a really good thing if I do it. I don't know if there's much more of a process than that, other than just <laughs> instead of lying in bed for an hour thinking about how how, how I should cancel <laughs> and how and how you know how scared I am about doing something. Just that that time gets short. I'm like, okay. It's just my mind being scared about something and uh, 
I've, I guess I've just come to realize that the scariest things are the things that I should be doing. If I, if my mind is scared about doing something, if there's, if the fear is there, it means that there's this great possibility on the other side that I'm just afraid of taking. And they're the things that you should run towards, not run away from. Man, that's so cool. That's, that's <laughs> so that's so cool. Just hearing, having heard this concept you've just described from so many people on this show, is that's it's almost like that's the trick. That's the trick for the human brain. Yeah. Fear is important. Fear keeps us safe. Yeah. But fear is not. Don't go ahead. Fear is we're going to do this. We're just heightening all of our senses here to give us the powers to go through yeah. it. And and if you have that sensation, if if everything's telling you don't do this, like, that's the reason to do it. <laughs> it's it's because you, it's 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 something you haven't done before. It's because mm. it's just this unknown yeah, thing that that you haven't experienced before, and that's why you're scared of it, and that's that's why you should do it because it's opening up this world. And if you just run away from that. And if you just stay comfortable and just, just do everything that you know you can do, that you know you can do well, um, you're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to stay in the safe little bubble, which is fine, you know, at times. But if you just want, you know, if you want, you just, uh, I don't know. No, man, I think, I think you've described it perfectly. And then, yeah, that's when you're on that. On the edge. When you're on that barge. With Jonathan Lapalia <laughs> heading over to some island at the edge of Samoa. You've been through the audition process. You've made it through. You're, you're with all these strangers. Um, I don't know. How much, how much are you allowed to talk about Survivor? Do you need to text someone? Do you need no, to- no. I, was, I want to bring up something because um, the, the, the period before actually, you know, appearing on that barge was, it was about a week of uh, isolation. In, like, we call it lockdown. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was lockdown, and you really have no contact with uh, anybody. You're just alone with your thoughts. <laughs> what, in, in a hotel room, in a, in a, a hotel room, um, and you, you, just, you just have nothing. And that's um, that's when it just no started. Phone, to, no, no phone, no nothing. Yeah. That's when it just started to build in me. And I've never really had any serious experiences with with mental health, um, but. On the la on the eve of going on, and they don't tell you when you're going on either, so it could be the next day. You just don't know. But on the eve of it actually happening, um, for the first time ever, I just started experiencing. I don't know what I don't know what it is. You might know, but I just I found I just couldn't breathe normally. I had to tell myself that like, breathe in, breathe out. And if I'd stopped thinking, if I stopped telling my body to do that, I just wouldn't do it. And I was get I, I was terrified and I thought what is happening to me this is and then this, the whole thing was really overwhelming and I started really it started sinking in oh my god this is like such a huge thing that I'm about to do that I don't really have any control over and I wanted to I brought out my phone because I I, I wrote I had a notebook yeah so I wrote something in my notebook um while I was while I was going through this and and it's pretty much what we've just um, been, been talking about but I'll read you a little Extract from is it. It's handwritten. It is handwritten, but I, I you put it on it? my phone. Um, why am I even doing this? <laughs> I've been asked the question endless times by reporters and production, but do I even really know myself? Deep down, I do. This is terrifying. It makes me sick 
It makes me question whether this is just one risk too many. But I guess life is meant to be lived in that zone, that space between comfort and greatness, between what you know and what you fear. That's where I need to be, on the edge, not in the safety of normality, not in the stands with the spectators. So here I am risking it all, risking embarrassment and humiliation in front of a nationwide, nationwide audience. <laughs> and that's, that's what I wrote to myself to kind of psych myself up. And I guess it worked. I yeah. did it. <laughs> it I honestly, I, I get really confronted by watching Survivor mainly because I don't know if I could ever do it. I'm a terrible liar terrible liar and I, I feel awful karmic ramifications if I were to ever deceive someone. And yet when I see um, like last night watching Shane Gould play Brian like a fucking fiddle. <laughs> oh, you haven't really lost much muscle, have you? Hey, biceps are looking all right. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty good, eh? A bit like <laughs> And then boom, boom, boom at tribal, just fuck. I could never do that. I think, I mean, at that stage of the game, I think, I think you'd be surprised at what you can, what you find yourself doing. Yeah. At the start, you, you might feel like that. Okay, you know, I feel, I feel bad. But as it goes along, it starts. I think you can have a bit more fun with it, and and you see what everybody has done to each other, and then and then you justify it to yourself. Oh, you know, this guy just voted out my best mate. You know. I don't feel bad lying to him now. <laughs> and then you just, you know, I think you, 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 you'd be surprised. I think you'd be, I think you'd be very good on Survivor actually. <sighs> My wife would be incredible. <laughs> but Audrey has, she has a superpower of reading micro expressions. Mm. Yeah. She is, she can, she knows what's going on in my head before I've said it. Because she can see it in my face. Mm. She should be an interrogator or something, I yeah. swear to God. So even last night when we're watching, she's like, she's, like, she's lying. She's, cry <laughs> she's crying when Monica was lying to try and do the, the afternoon, what do you call it? When they're doing the pre-tribal chat where they're trying to lobby each other. Yeah. After, yeah, the, yeah. after, the, <laughs> the, scramble. after, the, after the challenge before yeah, the tribal. Yeah. That's um, the intense time. <laughs> yeah. Monica's... No, she has to go and try and get this vote and, and she's lying to someone's face and then she starts crying and she plays it off like, oh, I'm just so stressed. And Audrey's like, she's not stressed. She's crying because she hates herself for lying. Wow. And then boom. Okay. Into Sign the Voxy where she goes, ah, oh, straight to the Voxy where she's sitting <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the rock going, oh, yeah, I cried because I couldn't handle the fact that I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know how much you can talk about production because I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated as, as someone who works, has worked in reality television for a very long time. I'm fascinated by mm. how, it, how it all works. Um, can you tell me when you do the, the Voxies, the, mm. the thought track stuff, do you yeah. do that after you've been eliminated and they just remind you of things or do you every day to pull you out and go, hey, Jerry, can you just talk us through what happened yeah. in this trial? Um, every day. Every day okay. you, you've got... Uh, a pretty lengthy interview and that might be an, an hour's worth of just answering questions. So you, you see people like, oh, can't, you know, can't, can't, you, can't you tell by what they're asking you, you know, what's going to happen? Are they trying to guide you? Not really because you go through so many questions every single day um, that you can't, you can't draw much from that. And the other thing that I see pop up all the time is, 
don't say you're safe. Oh my God, as soon as you say you're safe, you're gone. And they, that, they, people said that about me because I, I, I didn't appear too much on the show, but um, suddenly, suddenly uh, on my vote out episode, uh, there's footage of me saying, yeah, I feel pretty safe. <laughs> and be like, oh my God, you know, as soon as you say that, like, don't you understand? I've been saying that every single day. One time I was wrong, but every single day I was safe, you know. Yeah. You know, just, you know, so that's, that's that interview process it's just, it's just ongoing and constant um they collect they collect it as they go they collect it as they go and there yeah. might be a little bit what there might be that's that might be a painful one is like uh is is that you probably do have to do a little bit once you're gone just to fill in a gap if there is a gap in um you know uh, something and and people can kind of I think people can infer that from what they see because suddenly in the in the confessional yeah, the the person's in a different spot, something yeah. like that. So there are little it. gaps uh, going in, and that that's that's probably a painful one where it's like, um, all right, so take so pretend where this is yesterday. Yeah. Do but you think you're safe? Well, that's 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 really cheers. important. I, I did a podcast the other night about uh, about Bachelor, and I asked me, I was like, does does Nick see? Um, oh, uh, does Nick see what the, the mean girls are doing? I say, no, because yeah. at the end, whatever the end is, mm. everyone in the audience needs to see why he's made his decision. If he finds something out off camera and makes a decision off camera, mm. that whatever that you know, they end up with won't make sense. It's the same with Maddie. It's the same with Sophie. It's the same with everyone. Everything has to happen on camera. And if you've missed something and then suddenly something doesn't make sense, you kind of have to come back and go, hey, remember that date when we were, I don't know, on trampolines with basketballs um, and blah, 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 hit someone in the head. I'm making something up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you, know, you know, Jennifer hit Betsy in the head. Um, you didn't see that on the day. I know you saw that on the day, but you didn't tell us anything about it. So I know it happened a week ago, but can you give yeah, us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, that, otherwise the audience won't. That's the thing. It has to make sense. It has to make a narrative and... That's something that I realized probably a bit too late through my experience that, you know, that's, uh, I, if I could go back and, and, and have my time again, you know, I think it would be, I'd, I'd try and go in understanding reality TV a little bit more because I went in with my entire focus on the game. I want to win. I'll do. And I'll do whatever it takes to win. If that's being quiet here and doing this here, that's that's what I'll do. And I didn't really uh, think about the the TV show aspect too much. And you don't see me appear very much throughout the season. You know, I pop up here and then, but I wasn't so much a major character. And you know, I went and, and when I started watching it back, I started realizing, oh, okay, you know, everything's about the story. So much stuff happens, and if I wasn't involved in a, a neat story uh, or, you know, a narrative, then you're not going to show it. You're not going to show all these amazing conversations I had with this person if nothing happens between me and that person. If that if that little storyline doesn't get concluded somewhere, there's no reason to show anything in the leader. And that's 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 something I started realising. And that's, you know, and I think you commented on on the uh, the underlying gate <laughs> from from the finale last year that the whole underlying thing that was part of that was just me realizing you know you know how TV works. By then I realized, um, and this is to explain it. This is this is um, 
in the final tribal council where I make, made a bit, bit of a fuss about this, this underlying thing where, where Jerry, Jericho, the eventual winner, he had, um, I'd asked him to underline uh, his vote earlier on uh, as, as a little code. This is when I thought, you know, we could work together. I thought, okay, just to show that we're, that we're in this together, send me a little message by underlining your vote. I'll do it as well. Little did I know they were voting me out that night and he underlined my name. <laughs> Pretty brutal. Brutal. Um, but, and Survivor, amazing, but brutal. <laughs> amazing. Um, and then I was on the jury and I had a lot of time to think about it and I thought, you know, when it came down to making a speech at the end, I, you know, I didn't really care that much about the underlying thing. I thought it was kind of funny that he did that. No hot, hard feelings, but I had to think, you know, what's, what would be the best story here? How, what's, you know, how can I, what, what can I do in this situation to make a bit of good TV and to, and to as well, you know, get a bit of, yeah, I wanted a, I wanted to scare him, get a bit of revenge on what he'd done to me. So that, you know what? This this would tie off this little storyline very nicely, wouldn't it? If this underlying thing had carried all the way to the end, yeah, um, you know, and that's why I did that. You know, by then, I had realised, you know, how how the show works. But I loved it, man, because I, I mean, I don't think you were manipulating anything because it, it didn't, no. didn't affect the outcome, no. and it um, it was. I would have loved to know that, you know, when I watched it happen, I was like, I want to know what it's like to get fucked over like yeah, that. Yeah. It was a boss move when he did it too. When, um, what does, what does camp smell like? <laughs> it smells pretty bad. Um, but you don't realize it until you're out of it. You know, I guess it's just that, and that, that, you know, like the frog in the boiling water thing. It just gradually builds. And, you don't realize how bad everything is smelling or, or looking until you're out. As soon as I was out and, and on that jury bench and, and they would, the, the contestants that were still in the game, they would walk past you, you would notice. It was a pretty bad, uh, yeah. <laughs> pretty bad smell. But everyone's in it. So well, when everyone's in it, you don't notice because everyone's yeah, the same. You're all in it. You're all in it. And that's, it's a good analogy for for, for going through yeah. that adversity that is that experience. It was pretty tough. It's the, you know, the most common remark you get or the co- most common question you get after is, I mean, first it's how much weight have you lost? <laughs> how much weight did you lose? Second is, is it is it real? Did, I, th- I thought you got meals off camera. I thought you, got, you guys go to a hotel or something. <laughs> and a surprising amount of people believe that. It is so much more real than you could imagine. It is, it is a brutal experience. The first week that we were out there, it was there were thunderstorms every night, and my my lasting memory, if I, you know, my number one memory, if I, not number one, what I liked, but what what I will just remember from this experience is trying to sleep in the rain on a pile of uh, uneven bamboo. And just lying there and just having raindrops dripping on your face. You were so cold. You were so uncomfortable. And just every time you open your eyes, you just, please, please let it be morning. <laughs> please, the, the next time I open my eyes, is it is the daylight out? <laughs> it's brutal, man. Coming back to what I said, one of the, the early days were really tough and... Something I'll always remember is is day three or day two, I think it was, where my tribe, we had our fire set outside of the shelter 
and it was pouring with rain and we couldn't lose this fire because we were pretty screwed if we did. Can't cook your rice, you don't have any warmth. So we had to protect this fire at all costs. And from sundown to sunup, we stood around this fire getting smashed with rain, getting smashed with smoke. Everybody's coughing and retching. We're all standing around arm in arm with big palm fronds behind us to try and block out the rain. You know, people would bow out every now and then. They just run off because they have to cough up the smoke and they just have, they've had too much and, you know, we'd close up the gap and then they'd come back in. That night, a couple of people got hypothermia. And talking to the psychologist after this whole experience, like, what was your favourite memory? I'm like, I mean, it's strange, but that was probably one of my favourite memories because it showed me that if we're all in it together, if you look around and that person isn't quitting, that person isn't quitting, you can get through a lot. That was a traumatic night for all of us. <laughs> and if I was alone, if any of us were by ourselves in that situation, I think you would, you would quit because it was just so intense and, and, and it seems like it's not worth it. But if you look next to you and, and this person's struggling, but they're, they're, they've got their arm around you and they're, they're still going, you're like, okay, I'll keep going as long as you're, you're still here with me. That's, that's a hell of a story, man. <laughs> hell of a story. The, what's the, uh, and, and you mentioned the psychologist, and I think it's important to talk about the, the debriefing process. Mm. What's that like? It was, it, was, it was great to debrief and kind of, you know, I, I've never really seen a psychologist before. So, so having access. And throughout the show, you, you, you talk to psychologists and, and you know, if, you, if there's anything that's, that you need to talk about, they're there. There was never much going on throughout the show that 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 worried me too much. But this debrief after it was great, and and it made me uh, yeah, it was good just to have some clarity on um, you know, what I was feeling because I, I knew what I was feeling. I didn't know why. I didn't know how to categorize it. And 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 talking to the psychologist, it was uh, it's like yeah, that's that's that sh- you know shared hardship was the term that he, that he gave to me. I thought, yeah. Yeah, that that's that's right, and that that is what I'll take out of this experience is the shared hardship and and just knowing that you can get through anything if there's people with you, people by your side, and that's just one example. That was probably the most extreme example that that rain night, but the whole thing, you know, you there's there's times that you're like, what am I doing? But you'll have someone there, and you're like, oh man, we're in this together. <laughs> okay. All right, another day. Let's do it. <laughs> take, take, you mentioned that the afternoon, the scramble in the afternoon from after the, the challenge or trial or, or whatever it is, uh, the, the immunity challenge or the reward challenge between that and tribal council, that it was a bit of a scramble. Yeah. What's that? What's that like? What's that? You know, do you get a sense of I'm in trouble or do you get a sense of I need to shore up votes to make sure my alliance is good? I need to pinpoint this person, not make it too obvious. What's it like? Oh, man, it could be different every time. For, for I mean, my position in, in the 95% of the game was a pretty good one. So I never found myself on the other side where I'm the one trying to flip things. I was always on the side where we've got it sorted and let's protect it and not let it screw up. So it's probably different, you know, it'd be very different depending on what position you are in the game. Are you the desperate one or are you the one trying to steady the ship? So most of the time I was steadying the ship and just making sure that 
you you would identify the threats or what what could possibly go wrong. Oh, this person might talk to that person and they might sway something. So then what do you do? Okay, I'm going to keep that person away from them. And it becomes this kind of uh, awkward dance where you're just, it, it it is a very awkward thing, Survivor, especially when you know that you are voting the different way or you're not in an alliance with that person. You still have to live with them. 24-7. So (laughs) it's it's this weird thing where you both know you're you're standing there lying to each other, but you just have to go through the motions and have this conversation where in your head you're like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean anything I'm saying and I know you're not either, but let's just keep talking because (laughs) we have to. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, but the, the scramble, that's when it all comes out. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of just simmering under the surface most of the time because you are there all day with the same people and you kind of, you know, just in, in, in terms of keeping camp cohesive and not making it full blown awkward and weird, like you still have to live with each other. So you kind of dance around it. You have little secret conversations when you can, but in that scramble, in that little window where you know, okay, shit's going down, you know, in an hour. That's when everyone, usually everybody is running around. Conversation here, conversation here. You're like, okay, you, you'll tell somebody, okay, love talking to you, but I have to go. I need to go talk to this person. It and just, everyone's it just, fine with it that because they know that's yeah, the game. No, they know now it's when it's happening. And for someone, it, it's likely their last night. So you, you, you don't care about the niceties anymore. So do you get a, do you get a heads up to production? Say, so, okay, guys, we're in, a, in about an hour, we're going to travel. Um, you just know that when you come back from the challenge and if you're the losing team, you don't know how long it's going to be, but it's it's probably a, an hour or two. You just know that it's yeah. it's coming. And then when you get the call up to go, then it, it, that's that. You know, it yeah. could just come at any moment. All right, we're going. So you just need to. Are there crews around all day? Uh, yeah, there's there's more crew when the scramble happens. <laughs> if you're the losing tribe, there will be more crew around because there's okay. going to be more conversations and especially side conversations, you know, because on a normal day when nothing much happens, you know, everyone is just hanging out together, you know. There, there doesn't need to be much sneaking around going on. But when everybody's fighting for their life, yeah. it, it gets a bit mental and there'll probably be more crew around to, to capture those, those So if you're, if you're the winning tribe... Mm. On that night, if you're the winning tribe, there'll be what one or two shooters just around. Yeah, yeah, something like that because you know that nothing's going to go down. Nothing crazy is going down at that tribe. They're safe. You're so yeah. happy if your whole tribe is safe that day. You're just—it's yeah. bliss. You're like, okay, we can just relax mm. now for and a day, for yeah. a night. Yeah, we'll start again tomorrow. But for tonight, yeah, let's just. Uh, you know, let's picture what the other tribe is going through and, you know, let's just be grateful that we mm. don't have to do that right now. Um, I'm, I'm going to put this out. I'm going to okay. put this out the day of <laughs> the finale. So I'm going to put this out on okay. Monday. I'm going to put this out on finale's Tuesday, I think. I'm looking forward to catching up with, with everybody because we're, we're all here and, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm going. Audrey and I got an invite to the, 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 the taping of the, Amazing. the jury thing and I'm <laughs> so so excited to go. What is it like to be on the jury? Because you got to be on the jury. Yeah. What's it like to then be there? Because they keep saying it. Steve 
uh, keep saying it, you don't win Survivor, you are awarded it. Yeah. And that's such a change in paradigm of, mm. you know, you, 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 you've, you've gone from trying to uh, outsuss other people and, and sneak mm. other people around to then now I'm just trying to impress people, mm. people who have just might have just fucked over. Yeah. That's the beauty of the game. It's such a well-designed game that to get to the end, you have to betray a lot of people and they're the ones that you have to impress at the same time. It's such a well-designed game. Um, and that is, that is true. You have to earn it. And that's, I think that's the, that's, the, that's the feeling you get while, while you're in Jury Villa. I mean, that's what everybody is thinking and talking about because they've just been voted out and you have to, you know, every couple of days go back and watch people that are still in the game in the position that you would love to be in and you're out of it. And then... And it wouldn't, maybe it's bitterness for some people, but it's just this attitude that, you know, all right, well, you're lucky enough that you're still in this. You need to show me why you deserve my vote. It's not good enough to get to the end, you know. It's, <laughs> but being in the jury was, it was really fun. And I, and I think it's such a mentally healthier position to find yourself in post game is, is having this experience in the jury with the other contestants that come out as they voted out and, and have this ability to debrief with everybody and say, why did you do that? Why did, why did you not trust me that time? You know, and you can talk through it. And, and if you're, if you go home before the jury, you just go straight home. Mm, tough. And especially if you went, if you were blindsided or you, you didn't, you know, you just, you didn't see it coming and you don't get to talk to anyone about it and you just go home and you're sitting at home knowing that everybody's still out there playing, that would be the, the toughest thing. That's a lot of rejection. That's, that's yeah. a lot. And, but being in jury, you can talk to everybody, you can work out. And you see people's real personalities. Um, I mean, I know my, myself, I was holding back a little bit uh, and not letting everybody know how much I was thinking of the game or just not my entire... You, you keep a bit back for yourself. But letting that out was amazing. Yeah. And something that came out of it, I mean, Henry, Henry uh, was really, he was the reason I was voted out and it was because I was going for him. So we, we never talked properly. And like I was saying before, you have these conversations with people and you know that it's just, it's, it's just small talk. It's a bit of bullshit. You're just talking because you're there and whether you're on, because you're on the opposite side. Um, so we, we hardly talked properly on that entire experience. As soon as we came out of jury, out of the show and onto jury, we just got on so well. It was amazing. And he's one of my closest friends now. Even though we, he was the reason I was out <laughs> and I was going for him from as soon as I met him, I was like, no, you're gone. You're gone. I'm not, I'm going to dedicate my rest of the game to getting you out. It's what kind of drove us both out. And then to meet the real Henry <laughs> in Jury Villa, like, man, if only we were like this from the beginning. Right. We could have done some stuff, but... Um, but that's the game. It's a very, very clever format. Yeah. It's such a clever format because it almost... You, you're given permission to be the kind of human you are not allowed to be in society <laughs> and everyone is understanding of that. And yeah. at the moment it's over, you go, oh, no, it's okay that you did that to me. Yeah, I'm a bit annoyed at it, but yeah. at the same time, I'm kind of impressed yeah. by it. I mean, I would do the same thing to you to get ahead. Exactly. You know, and you accept it. Yeah. Um, that's and really... that's, it's hard to come 
back from that. Yeah. Where you have this permission to be sneaky, to lie to people, to, to yeah, act, act, you know, and, and it's a game, it's a competition, it's fun. And then when you're back in the real world, you, can't, you don't just lie to someone. <laughs> to, I mean, you might, but it's, it's, it's an adjustment, certainly, coming, coming back from this intense adrenaline rush this experience where every emotion is amplified mm. and the other thing is you, you, you feel so important and this is something i've spoke to about with um with mark uh who was he's the ex sas commander from survivor i've spoken to him a lot about this and and he said there's parallels between serving in the military and survivor obviously on a wildly different scale but it's the same idea of when you're in that environment, it, it's so intense and everything matters and every, all eyes are on you. Everything is just heightened. And then when you come back to real life, it's not there anymore. Real life is really mundane compared to that experience. And that's why you see people struggling when they come back from an experience like that. And, and, and you understand why, you know, you hear, you hear stories of of soldiers who despite how traumatic and damaging an experience like that might be that they want to go back because it's never the same it's not the same real life is the same you know you've gone through so much stuff and then you, you you rock up and you're waiting in the queue for a coffee and no one knows what you've done nobody cares suddenly you're not important anymore uh and you just long for that experience again where you're feeling everything and we come home like nothing nothing much nothing much matters anymore does it you know no one no one cares about what i'm doing it's tough lucky you have mountains to climb <laughs> exactly lucky you have, lucky I have you know? and i think that's uh, you know i haven't had much trouble i didn't find myself uh, struggling too much to to adjust um back in because of all these uh, these crazy things that I'm doing, it would be much harder to come back to a, an office job. I think. Oh boy, no! It would be insane. Just that that contrast, yeah. that click of a fingers, and you are back to a normal yeah. civilian. Yeah, well, I, I, um, it. The way I can relate to you saying that is that now that I'm a lot healthier, um, there was a time when I didn't experience happiness. I experienced the hypermanic state. So my happiness was like a bag of cocaine feeling. I'm not mm. taking the drug, but I have taken the drug. Um, uh, a, like the feeling of just like a, a couple of bumps and then a roller coaster at mm. the same time. That's mm. what happiness was. And that was my experience. It was just like lightning shooting out of my body. Okay. Yeah. And then once I got f better, once I got better, happiness is like, Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But it was, ne it was never that what I had known. Mm. And there's a sadness in that, Jared. But there's also an acceptance of like, that's utterly unsustainable. Yeah. I, cannot, I cannot live like that. Mm. So while it is super intense yeah. and challenging and, you know, physically demanding, it's unsustainable. I can't do it. But I totally get that, yeah, chasing that feeling again and be like... Yeah. When else am I going to feel this rush again? Yeah. It's tough to come to terms with that. And you're, that's probably the most exciting thing I'll ever do. 
until you're invited back <laughs> for some, you know, superstars versus, you know, schleps. I don't know if I could, sure. I could, because I'm, I'm wondering like if I could ever do it. So I go, in case I ever need it again, I'm dietarily restricted in that of celiac and I'm vegan. Um, does that rule out rice? No, fuck Because no. that's, that's 95% rice and beans. Mate, that's Nin- I'm the dom in heaven. <laughs> exactly. That's all you'll, I eat. You'll have such an advantage going in. That's all I eat. Honestly, yeah. that's all I eat well, is rice then, and beans. Well, then I think you need to sign up. <laughs> but obviously it's a small enough portion for so many people and you've got to divide the portion up, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty small. Like so take this coffee cup right here, probably two, maximum three of those a day of rice. Okay. So like, yeah, two, two, two coffee cups of rice. That's your cooked, if you have your fire. <laughs> no, but that's, uh, that, that's a cooked cup. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two or and, three of those. And how many beans? Um, beans were kind of like the luxury <laughs> because oh, okay. you don't have as many of those. So, right. Okay, let's say, yeah. If you average it out, let's say two cups of rice, one cup of beans, that's, that's all you get per day. Right. I think you'd be fine hand, handling that side of things. The thing about... Survivor, I, th- I still think the the most valuable skill you can have on a show like that is the ability to make somebody trust you. You don't have to trust them at all, but you have to be able to make somebody else believe that you are with them. That's that's the number one skill. It's not lying. I mean, lying might be part of that, but it's, it's not... You know, physicality, or, or you know, or that's it. It's just it's just being able to make people trust you. So if you if you have that skill, if if you've had life experience that that this is another this is why Audrey would be great at it as well. That's I feel like that's her oh, daily she would, job. She would <laughs> she would kill it because as long as somebody believes that you're with them, you're you're safe. You don't even have to be able to influence other people that much. As long as you you can. Bring someone in, and th- and they walk away from from a conversation with you, thinking, "Oh, this guy's got my back." <sighs> you, you go right to the end if you can do that. Damn. Oh man, I'm. <laughs> I, I I could honestly I could talk to you about this all day, but I don't know. It's a, you've been here for a while. I'm just I'm so grateful you came, man. Thank you so much. Oh, so great. I'm glad me. that we we managed to have this conversation. You feel yeah. all right? Yeah. You feel good? Feel good. Yeah. Cool, yeah. man. <laughs> So it's great cool. to talk about a lot because like, a lot of that stuff I haven't talked about, especially the going through school and feeling feeling different. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't really talk to people about that. And we came out straight out with it. <laughs> it's my thing. Yeah. Audrey complains about it sometimes. <laughs> Can't you just fucking just chill? Why do you have to ask people heavy questions? Like question number two after how are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about your relationship with your dad. <laughs> <laughs> but interpersonally, I find it, you know, I, I, you know, it was when I was traveling. It was when I was when I was when I was traveling, and I, I got, you know, I could predict the first ten minutes of a conversation. Where are you from? How long have you been for? Mm. I don't know. Have you been to the castle? Da, 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 da. Did you see that cathedral? <laughs> yeah. If they, have you got a dog? Etc. 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 It's like, yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. We're both here on the other side of the world. Yeah. What it's drove you to say goodbye to all your family and friends? Mm pick up mm, a bag mm. and come somewhere where you only know how to say yes, no, and where's the toilet? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. Because that's where the stuff is. Yeah. That's where you know people. And through, because naturally I don't, I don't have too many 
deep conversations, even with the people that I work with a lot, like Passenger, like mm. Julia Stone. But since I've started, you know, I, I've started recording some conversations with with mm. with my peers and with creative people that I really look up to, and it, and and now with you, this it, sitting down, putting a microphone in front of you, it gives you this reason. And this is kind of going back to what I talked about. I have to force myself into things, mm. and I've had the most amazing conversations with with people I've known for very long, but we haven't ever talked about so much stuff because mm. it's not. It's not not and that common to just dive deep into something, something like that. You know, it's it's it's. I mean, small talk is just the easy way to get through something, and then it's just it's just the default you go to. But then you know, by by having these conversations, I, you know, I've discovered so much about um, myself mm. and my friends through no. through having a recorded conversation. Yeah, it's important though. Yeah. It's important. It's really it's, important. Otherwise, the, the conversation you're having is essentially the setup Instagram photo. <laughs> it's not. That's a great way of putting it. But it is. It's not yeah. the who who are you. Yeah. And then when we know each other, I find, when we know and we can uh, empathize with another person's experience, whether it be feeling the old one out at school, not seeing anyone else like you on telly or, or whatever or, you know, being, being challenged in this way or that, when we empathize with that person, all the other things that might've made us feel weird about that person kind of vanish. Mm. And for me, that's the key for us as a global community moving forward is understanding that, yes, this person looks different from me. They sound different from me. They have a different relationship with the, the women in their life than me. They, they pray this many times a day to this many different deities than me, but they love their kids. They want to eat three meals a day. They want a roof over their head and they want their kids to do better at life. I want those things. Oh, we're not so different. Exactly. Mm. And that's the key, man. That's the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Well, now I'm going to take your photo. Oh, amazing. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to take yours as well. Oh, cool. <laughs> That was Jared Sang. You can find him and his excellent survivor commentary on Twitter at Jared Sang, J-A-R-R-A-D-S-E-N-G. And his wonderful photography is on Instagram at J-A-R-R-A-D-S-E-N-G. A big thank you to Andy Marr, my audio producer, for putting um, both his, this episode and the Quentin episode together this week. Rachel Barrett, my producer, for helping me and Jared get in the same room at the same time. Toe Hyder for the music. Um, my cab driver for driving us safely and excellently and quietly. <laughs> Appreciate that a lot, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and you for listening thank you so much for listening to the show um, if you need me through the week you can uh, always get me on email send us your email at gmail.com or just you know DM me on Instagram I'm usually there until we talk next time sleep well and dream of beautiful things head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 